Good morning. Welcome to the event. Yeah, good morning to the few of us that are here and the rest of you out there uh, on the air somewhere. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in, those who have tuned in. Uh, I want to welcome you to uh, uh, this service of the Smith Center Evangelical Free Church. Uh, one announcement I might make is giving has been really good for our church at this time. Uh, ties are coming in and, and uh, extra things, and so the church is, is uh, okay financially for those of you who are interested. We may have more solid numbers uh, in a week or so. Um, that's all for our announcements. I have uh, from Colossians 3, uh, verses 12 and 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Would you bow with me? Father God, I do praise you and thank you that you've allowed us to uh, be in your house, uh, to put your word out today, uh, to bring songs of joy. We just pray, Father, that the things that we do would bring honor and glory to you. Uh, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, the bountifulness that you give each of us, uh, that you give our church, that you allow us to continue with uh, what ministries we have. Father, this morning, uh, especially, I want to lift up uh, our chairman, Kelly, and, and as he's a little under the weather today, just pray, Father, that your hand would be upon him, that you would uh, give him rest and, and peace at this time. Father, again, I just thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to continue to have these services uh, in this manner. Pray that we reach out and bring the truth to, uh, to all who hear these things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
like to introduce you here in just a second to somebody named Megan. We'll get her up here for you so you can see her. Uh, some of you may have seen her before, but I want to tell you about Megan this morning because she is a person who started one way with some things in her life she shouldn't have, 
And because of the work that Jesus did in her life, she moved to be the kind of person Jesus wanted her to be. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So I'll tell you more about Megan. I just want you to think about where we were before Christ and the struggle it is sometimes to become what Jesus wants us to be in this life with him. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, oh, you are my portion, you are my hiding place, I believe you are the way. Yeah. 
you are the way, the truth, and the life. You can work miracles in our hearts, even the hardest of hearts. You can, you can change us and you can make us what you want us to be. We pray that we open our hearts to you, that we let you do your work in us.
Can I get those lights on for the, for the old guy so he can see what he's doing here? Appreciate it. Well, good morning again, and I would like to uh, open in a word of prayer for this portion of our service. Thanks for our uh, praise team leading us in worship this morning. Uh, let's bow and ask God's blessing on the word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for salvation. We want to thank you for the changes that you bring about in our life. And we know, Father, that we have a part to play in putting on the new man and taking off the old man. And today we're going to be talking about another aspect, another area where that needs to be true. And so I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive your truth. And I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus, to understand what it is you want of us, what we need to do to make it happen. And then also, Father, to just work and live in conjunction and in sympathy with what the Spirit of God would like to do in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' precious and his holy name. Amen. So would you please take your Bibles and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This morning we're looking at verses 30 to 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to 31. I've thought about salvation lots in my life and what it does to people and what happens with those who are saved. And I've often thought, wouldn't it be fantastic if uh, it were true that the minute you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, all your problems went away? Now, that is not something that can affect other people, but let's say your problems, the issues that you're dealing with, the things that you struggle with. Uh, what a wonderful thing it would be is you say, I believe you, Lord Jesus. You died on the cross for my sins. I'm trusting in that. And miraculously, he just took all that garbage away and cleaned up all the bad stuff inside of us at that very moment. That would be a wonderful thing. And I, I imagine that that's what uh, we would like to have happen. And we would want to be completely healed from our sin nature when we said to Jesus, I believe. Now, granted, I have run into people in my life where they tell me that when they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, some addiction that had a hold of them all of their life up to that point just suddenly went away. The cravings were gone. They didn't need that anymore. And uh, that's, that's an admirable position to be in. But it doesn't happen very often. It's not the majority of the experiences that people have when they trust Jesus Christ. For most of them, and most of us, I should say, that come to Christ, there is still going to be a battle raging inside to get rid of some of those things that were there that we shouldn't have there anymore. Things like cigarettes and addiction to those, or pornography that continues to grip a Christian's heart, or moral failure through marriage problems, or alcoholism where people are finding a way to placate themselves by hiding their pain and medicating their pain with alcohol or drugs. Or maybe they had anger issues when they came to Jesus Christ and they still have those anger issues. And that's really where our focus is going to be today uh, because of the verses that we have before us. Or maybe they were uh, consummate liars and now they need to put that away. Or they cheated on things like their taxes or tests or something else like that. And many other things like these. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it all just went away? Well, uh, that normally doesn't happen. I'm not saying it can't happen. It can. I've met people like that. When I was a little boy, we were up somewhere in, I think it was upper Nebraska. I don't remember. I was just a little bitty guy. And somewhere up there in Nebraska, 
I remember that my dad was and mom were visiting people that my dad worked with. Now, my dad was an area finance manager, and so he was gone most weeks, all week, uh, collecting bills for a company. And this man did the same thing in his territory up north. And I'd never met the man before, and he was kind of a big guy, and his name was John. He's kind of scary. And he decided he would go to the store and get something for his wife that she needed because of what we were going to eat that day. And they wanted to know if I wanted to ride along. I'll never forget sitting in the back of that vehicle. And I'm just a little bitty guy and we didn't have seatbelts really in the car or anything like that. My dad's up front. And I've never seen anything like this in my entire life or heard anything. We didn't have that far to go in his, in his town to get to the grocery store. But it didn't take long, and you could just see this guy, even from the back seat, I could see his face was turning red. He was having all kinds of problems. He rolled down the window, and he starts screaming at other people driving their cars the way he didn't like them to be driving. And this was constant, and I thought, somebody's going to pull us over and beat, beat us up if, if this guy doesn't shut his mouth, and he never did. He yelled at people all the way to the store from his car, and he yelled all the way back. I have never seen anything like that in my life. Now, I don't believe he was a Christian, but if he were to come to Christ, that's not going to sit well with his Christianity. That's something that he needs to take care of, and, and that's what we're talking about here today. We have to take care of things like that when we come to Christ. Well, for this reason, the New Testament is full of commands for us to remove these sins from our lives and replace them with the good things by which God wants his children to be characterized by. Our passage today is one of those places that talks about those things. Friends, God does care about how we live and how we act and what we say and what we do. So let's look at our Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 passage. Now I'm reading from the New American. Yours might be a little bit different, but here's what it says. In fact, it probably is going to be different in verse 32, and I'll tell you why. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, being gracious to one another, just as God in Christ was also gracious to you. Now, your English text may have translated that to be forgiving as Christ was forgiving. That is not the normal word we would use for forgiveness, and that issue is actually taken care of in the sister book to the, uh, to the letter to the Ephesians, and that's in Colossians 3, verse uh, uh, 12 and following. So we don't lose that theology, but what the text says is be gracious. And I think in light of what he's talking about in the verse prior, uh, that's the way we should translate it. So that's the way I'm going with it. So here's verse 31 again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And that's quite a list of things. Those first ones are very much related. In fact, they're all related. And what we learn in verse 31, if you're following along in the bulletin that we have online for you, the believer must remove all bitterness, wrath, anger, shouting, and slander, along with all malice. <clears throat> so what we're understanding is this. I come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And let's say I'm a person like John that has this terrible anger problem, and God says, that's not going to fit your character in Christ. I, I need you to work on that. I need you to take care of it. What we need to understand is that we can't do that without God. 
and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Now, I wrote this a few months ago, and so I never would have dreamed uh, that this morning, at this point, uh, we have uh, five people in the sanctuary, and I start out this way. Maybe you're here this morning, and, you're a, and you are a Christian, and you have an anger problem. Well, okay. uh, I'm looking at the, the five or six that I have here, and I haven't noticed they've got an anger problem, but maybe you at home are one of these people, and maybe you have had an anger problem. And maybe that's what you need to hear about this morning. Uh, everybody gets angry, and so maybe it's become a problem. So I'm mostly talking, I think, to everybody that's watching us online. Now, I hope when you read this verse, I hope you don't read it and think this, that I just need to stop being angry. I just need to stop being bitter. I need to stop my wrath. Just stop it. And you tell yourself, don't ever do it again. Uh, because you know it's a sin, and maybe you uh, looked up a few verses on this where God has said not just here but other places, don't be angry, and you say, well, the Bible says don't be angry, so I'm just going to make up my mind. I'm not going to be angry. And then you also know, because it's something that you really cannot do alone, That uh, and, and if you think you can, you're in for a big shock, uh, you're in for a big failure, and then you're going to experience more guilt. See, what happens is this. Now, I was born in a family that they pass anger problems along generationally and spiritually. So I know what it's like to have anger in my life, and I didn't know what to do with it. I can tell you this. If you go to some Christian people, their answer is usually, well, hey, Greg, here's some verses that you can memorize on anger so that we're sure you know it's not supposed to be done. And then you just need to stop it. And I tried that. And I'm here to tell you, although I tried real hard, it maybe worked for a month or two, and then I blew up, and then I got to feel guilty because I didn't do what Jesus told me to do. So I go back to the person, they give me six more verses about anger, to, so I really know it's bad stuff, and I really, really try hard not to do it, but here it comes again. And now I'm destroying relationships with other people, and uh, with, with, with myself, I'm hurting myself because I just couldn't get rid of that anger. Yes, I know what God says about it. Yes, I know I'm supposed to, but what do I do? Now, I'm going to help with that this morning, so I hope you'll be listening, especially those of you who are dealing with anger as one of the problems. So uh, we often fail, and then we feel guilty when we just try to do it that way, and we have multiple failed attempts in the past, and so we have multiple times that we feel like failures, and by the way, just stuffing anger down inside somewhere is not freedom from anger. It's stuffing it, and it's going to show up in frustration and bitterness and sometimes blow-ups. Stuffing anger is like slowly packing some kind of explosive. Let's say even on, like on the 4th of July, I get all these black cats, and every time I get anger, and I just push it down, and I fill a briefcase with these black cats and other explosives, and I'm stuffing them in there it will eventually light up and blow because you can't hold that forever. And when it does, it has the destructive potential of anywhere from a grenade to uh, also the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, or it could be uh, an atom bomb that blows up. And then everybody gets hurt. Here are the things then that Jesus wants us to remove and carry away from our lives. And let me uh, spend some time explaining these because when we look at this in our verse, we say, well, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, uh, that all goes together. How do I know what the difference is? So what I've done is I've looked up the definition of these words in the Greek text, and I want to tell you what it says. So the first one is bitterness. 
These are the things he wants all of it to be taken away from us. So uh, first we're to remove bitterness from our hearts. Bitterness is when we express severe pain and animosity or resentment. What happens is when we're, when we're bitter, we just can't seem to talk nicely about people. It is revealed in the spirit or passion of a person's attitude when you listen to them talk. We get bitter and stay that way, and then it festers and grows until it ruins every waking or sleeping hour, even, of our lives if we don't deal with it. And uh, one reason to hold on to bitterness, in fact, the only reason to hold on to bitterness and even anger is for revenge. And we all know that, I'm sorry, Romans, not Revelation, Romans 12, 19 tells us not, not to take revenge. He says, brothers, don't ever take revenge, but instead do what is good. Bitter people spew out bitter tastes out of their mouths of bitterness all the time. They become resentful, harsh, unkind, and poisonous. It starts with anger. It leads to frustration when we don't deal with anger, and frustration then leads to bitterness. Let's move on. Secondly, we are to remove from our life all wrath. Now, God in the Bible says that he has white-hot wrath against sin. And I want to make this statement so you understand something. At least with anger, anger is an emotion. God gave us emotions. We talked about this back in chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Anger is an emotion. So you're going to get angry about things, and that's okay. But it's what you do with your anger that can become a real problem. So understand, you don't, you're not guilty for feeling anger. You're guilty if you do something wrong with it. Now, wrath is an intense expression of rage in the inner self. It is a passionate anger and a rage. It is used in the New Testament many times synonymously with the word anger. But wrath usually expresses a duality of intensity. In other words, it's a way, when I use the word wrath, it's an intense type of anger. It is an extreme expression of inner displeasure. And that's the way God feels about our sin. Thirdly, we are to remove from our lives all anger. Now, he's used the word all for all of these issues, and anger is one of them. Anger is, from an emotional aspect, a strong displeasure. It's an emotion that God gave us. It is indignation directed at a wrongdoing with focus on retribution, and it's that retribution part that we're not supposed to do and can get us in trouble. We are warned of the dangers of harboring anger in our hearts. And friends, remember, the only reason to harbor anger in your heart is for vengeance. And God makes sure that we understand we're not to take our own vengeance. We are warned of those dangers. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And what he's saying is, okay, you've got anger. Let's deal with it. Let's keep short accounts with God. That means we have to forgive somebody who hurt us or wronged us. So he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. 
in the next verse, and thereby giving a room or a place, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what the Greek word means there, tapos, a room or a place. Opportunity does not cover everything there, if your English translation has that, and thereby give a place to the devil. If I don't deal with the anger, I give a place to the enemy in my flesh, and then they can take control of that anger. And if we harbor our anger, the enemy has a right to build a base of operation in that, and then we have to deal with that as well. We move on then. Next, we are to remove all clamor from our life. Clamor is about people shouting back and forth in a quarrel. Have you ever been in a yelling match that is driven by anger? And uh, the more somebody talks, the more their voice elevates, and we start yelling and screaming at each other. And by the way, I see most of that in marriage counseling where people just let go and we usually hurt the people in our family more than we're willing to hurt people outside of our family. And the Bible reminds us that love does not keep a list of wrongdoing. And I need to throw that in there as we're talking about this issue with clamor. Jesus doesn't want us in yelling matches, especially in marriages. Some people yell and walk away. Some people throw things. And sometimes they hit the other person with something. I had one couple that I was helping who would, it's funny, but it really isn't funny. They uh, would get in a food fight and they describe one to me and it happened to do with spaghetti. And I would think that's pretty messy, but they started by throwing spaghetti on each other and then smearing it on each other. And that escalated until the wife picked up the pan, the saucepan, and hit her husband upside the head and got the old boy's attention with the pan. Uh, yelling and, and this kind of clamor has the potential to really escalate. Now, God's remedy for that is found in Proverbs 15.1. And uh, I'm, I'm going to use a different word than what's in uh, maybe the King James or the New American. It says a soft answer turns away wrath or a gentle answer turns away wrath. When somebody's elevating in there and they're yelling at you, you want to be sure and bring down the volume and not, you know, uh, not be doing these other things like gossiping and slandering and those kinds of things. And that will calm things down. This is followed by a command to remove slander from our lives. Slander is from the word that we get our word blasphemy from here. It is speech that denigrates or defames or disrespects. This is what Michael the archangel uh, got himself into and refused to do with Satan. Uh, the book of Jude, in Jude chapter 1, verse 9, there's only one chapter in Jude, it says that Michael was disputing and arguing with Satan about the body of Moses when he died on that mountain, when God showed him the promised line, but said, you can't go. And apparently God sent Michael the archangel to gather the body of Moses and bury him, bury him somewhere where the people didn't know, so that they didn't venerate and worship him. And Satan came along who wanted to try to get people to worship Moses instead of God, apparently. And, and he was disputing and there was argumentation. And finally, Michael said, may Yahweh, may the Lord rebuke you. And that's how he ended it. He didn't call him names. Now, there was some argumentation and disputing there. Uh, but I'm sure that Satan let loose, but Michael the archangel didn't. And he allowed God to handle it. <clears throat> people get mad at others and then... There is name-calling or taking somebody's reputation for a drag through the mud. It is put-downs. 
It is the demolition of a person's character. I want us to look at this point to Romans uh, chapter 12 and verse 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. What that means is as a Christian, if somebody's being evil and nasty and slanderous to me, I don't have a right from God to do it back to them. I don't pick up the weapons of the enemy in a situation where there's a fight going on. I don't pick that up and use it against the person. I pick up weapons of righteousness like Michael did when he was disputing with Satan about the body of Moses. Now all these things plus one more must be put off, removed, carried away from us as, and, and the makeup of us as a person now that we know Christ. They are to be put away, the Bible says. They are to be lifted up. The word is, is uh, iro, and it means to lift something up, to move it to a different place, uh, not have meaning or control over us anymore. And a decision must be made. So the first thing about these things we need to know is that I need to decide. I need to get on God's terms and say, I'm not going to do this. Now, that doesn't make it all go away, not yet. We must remove them, we must take control of them, and take them away. Now, I want to read that again as, as we're looking at this. All right, they must be put away from you, lifted up and carried off, put away. In, in the grammar of the Greek text, that is what we call a passive imperative. Now, a passive, uh, a passive voice means that the action is being done to the person. So I'm the person with the problem of the anger or slander or clamor, whatever it is. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to get rid of that. But it's action that is done to me, but it's also a command to me. How can that be? How can it be that it's passive and it's imperative? I'm commanded to do it. And the issue is this. This means that we cannot do it on our own, by our own power. It is accomplished by the Spirit of God. So first I make up my mind, I am not going to do this. And then I need to allow the Spirit of God to work in my life uh, to do that action of lifting it away from me. So it's accomplished by the Spirit of God, friends, or it doesn't work. It doesn't free us. There's no such thing as forgive and forget. You can't forget. That goes against the makeup of how God made our brains. Everything that we've ever been through is up there. Because we can't recall it doesn't mean that it isn't there, but you can't forget, but you can set free from liability those who made you angry. I have to work at it. And I'm on board with dealing with the issue, but God does the real work of removal. And if we've given the enemy, according to Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, a place of operation in us, God is the one that can remove that enemy, and then we can be free indeed. God won't force me to change. You and I must make a choice, and God will help us and do the work. All these are to be removed from us along with malice. Malice is wickedness, ill will, mean-spiritedness, destruction, and evil that people do to each other. I want to take a minute here and tell you a little bit more about Megan that we met earlier. Let me read what is written. Megan Phelps Roper. Some of you know, because we live in Kansas, a guy by the name of Fred Phelps. And in the name of God, he did some very hateful things. Megan's related to him. 
Megan Phelps Roper has been on the picket lines for the Kansas-based Westboro Baptist Church since age five. The members are notorious for picketing the funerals of American soldiers because of their stance on war. They also publicly celebrate natural disasters and tragedies because it is an expression of God's judgment. Their exploits have made news worldwide. Um, in, in my own experience, I went to my son Gabriel's graduation from KU Law School, and these people were there protesting all kinds of stuff, and they had little kids with them, and the signs were just hateful. And I remember one of Gabriel's friends, who also was getting ready to graduate with his law degree, I remember one of his friends saying, isn't this ironic? They're standing over there hating us with all these unbelievable signs, and it's people like us, he means lawyers, who worked and fought so that they would have the right to do that very thing. And he thought that that was ironic, and uh, it shouldn't be. We're trying to help people with freedoms, and this is what they do with it. Well, it wasn't until 2012 that Phelps Roper began to have a change of mind and heart. That picture I showed you was her uh, giving a, a speech about what, what had happened in her life. And this all happened thanks to Twitter. She zealously debated people on Twitter, but soon things began to change. She says, people I sparred with on Twitter would come out and to the picket line and see me when I protested in their city. We started to see each other as human beings, and it changed the way we spoke to one another. It took time. But eventually, these conversations planted seeds of doubt in me. Leaving Westboro, which was a church where this was propagated, which included family and close friends, was extremely difficult. They never spoke to her again. She also believed that she would be shunned by those she verbally fought with. So she said, I'm going to lose my family and those that I fought with out on the line. And she said, I wanted to hide from the world. I'd rather be rejected. I'd, I'd rather, I'm sorry, hide from the world I'd rejected for so long. People who had no reason at all to give me a second chance after a lifetime of antagonism. Phelps Roper soon understood Proverbs 15.1. Remember, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Uh, but grievous words stir up anger. She comments on today's partisan political bitterness and the people who influenced her. I remember this path. It will not take us where we want to go. We have to talk and listen to people that we disagree with, and I will always be inspired to do so by those people I encountered on Twitter, apparent enemies who became my beloved friends. They came to me with pointed questions tempered with kindness and humor. They approached me as a human being, and that was more transformative than two full decades of outrage, disdain, and violence. We are not to have a vicious attitude towards others. We must forgive each other from the heart if we're to escape anger's hold on us. Now, I just gave you the key to getting rid of anger. We have to forgive those that we're angry with, and it has to be done from the heart, not the head. In other words, we have to mean it from the, the depths of our soul. We must be willing to carry the pain others have caused us. Someone has to pay for sin. So you forgive somebody and you say, I'm willing to carry the pain and consequences that they caused me with Jesus' help. And today I set them free from a liability of punishment. That's how you do this. And you do that for every single person, every single time in your life that you've been angry. You do that. We must be willing to do that and let them free from liability. No revenge. We must take back the ground that the enemy may have built 
to control our anger and to destroy our relationships. Now we use a we use a prayer for this for everything about anger that we have or wrath or rage in the counseling office and here's how it goes. So you want to pay attention to this. Now I'm going to put my name in here and make something up here so that you can see how it goes. So if I'm if Noel, my wife is forgiving me, she would she would say this from the heart. <clears throat> Lord, I choose to forgive Greg for being a below average idiot. <laughs> whatever I did, okay, causing me to feel stupid and rejected and alone. Then she would go on and pray, I am willing to pay for the emotional pain and consequences that Greg has caused me. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to take back the ground given to the enemy through my bitterness, and I yield that ground to your control. Now, that's on video, so if you didn't catch it all, you can go back and pick it up. And we forgive people from the heart, and with Jesus' help, we'll take the pain that they cause and we'll give it to Jesus. Now, there's remedy in the text here in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also was gracious to you. Or so, or so I, I messed up there. I should have said being gracious to one another. I reverted back to the old way there. We are to be kind, tender-hearted, and gracious to each other, just as God in Christ was gracious to us. This is the daylight side of the darkness that we saw in the last verse. When you look at Christians, and you look at what he's telling us, that we have to do away with these things in verse 31, you think, wow, uh, we, we can actually act as Christians worse than a drunken sailor, apparently. Jesus wants us to be kind. It means to cause no discomfort, morally goodness to people, and being benevolent. Now, friends, please listen. There's another side of this. God wants us to confront sin. We have to confront it in ourselves first before we confront it in other people. But there is a time to lovingly confront somebody. And we can confront people, but listen, it's without then destroying that person. So there's a way to confront and a way not to. It means to cause no discomfort. Now, there was a man, um, his, his name was uh, Julio Diaz. He was a 31-year-old man. He lived in the Bronx, and he was a social worker. And every night he had a, a diner that he liked to stop by and grab a quick bite to eat for, for his favorite food at this diner. Went there often. Well, um, one thing stood in his way one night as he was going home, and he wanted to eat there. And what it was was a, a teenage mugger, and he had a knife, and he came up to, to Diaz, and he said to him, uh, give me your knife, or I'm going to stab, I mean, give me your wallet, or I'm going to stab you with this knife. So he dug around in his pocket, he got his wallet, and he handed it to the young man, and the young man started to run away. And he yelled at the young man, because this is later in the evening, and he said, hey, if you're going to be robbing people all night, maybe you'd like my, <laughs> maybe you'd like my coat too, can you imagine? because you're going to get cold. And the kid stopped dead in his tracks. And the kid came back to him, and he gave him his coat. And he said, hey, well, while we're together, how would you like to grab a bite to eat? And the kid went with him. And they went to his favorite diner. He still got his favorite meal. And he talked to the young man. And he said, you know, um, we are not supposed to be mean to other people. We're supposed to be nice to other people. Did anybody ever teach you that? And the kid said, yeah. I've been taught that, but he said, I, I never thought people in real life ever did that. And while they were at this little diner, he noticed this kid noticed that all the waitresses were saying hi, the people in the kitchen were saying hi. He said, well, does this guy own this restaurant, or why are, why are these people so nice? And he, he finally asked me, he said, you know, 
you need to be nice. And these people like me because they're nice. Can you be nice? Well, the two continued to talk about life and other matters. And when the bill finally came, Diaz didn't have any money. He says, I'm going to need my wallet back if I'm going to pay for this. And so the kid hands him the wallet. So he pays for the meal, and then he gives the kid 20 bucks. And he said, you know, I'd like you to give me that knife too. The kid handed him the knife. And they parted ways, so the would-be mugger stopped. When Diaz told his mom about the encounter, uh, she said, you know, you're the type of kid that if someone asked you for the time, you wouldn't be able to stop until you gave him your watch. That's kindness. Jesus wants us to be tender-hearted. That is compassionate, good-hearted, sympathetic to the needs of others. It involves tender feelings towards another person. Jesus wants us to be gracious to each other. You can see how these go against the things that we used to be in the previous verse. He wants us to be gracious to each other. It means to give freely as a favor to someone. Gracious by forgiving wrongdoing. Dr. Harold Honer said this, and I quote, only by God's spirit can we be gracious to one another. Friends, you can't do any of this without the help of the Spirit of God and yielding to him in your life, end quote. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. If you go back just a couple pages in your Bible, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And he means no law in the law of God. Uh, we're living in an age when people are starting to make good things evil and, and uh, want to take you to court for doing that which is good, but not in God's law. Dr. Honer sums it up this way again, and I quote, Bitterness is counteracted by a gracious spirit. Anger and wrath are counteracted by a gracious attitude. Shouting and abusive speech are counteracted by gracious speaking. And those are choices that we need to make, the first step in getting free. Our example is that God in the person of Jesus Christ was gracious to us. Let me give you some applications, and I'm hoping that you picked up some applications as we went through here. Number one, we must rid ourselves of the ways of the old nature, the sin nature, the old man or the old woman, if you will, in us. We live in a new way that God has made possible for us through the blood of his Son on the cross, that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. Then these things can change because he'll help us. Secondly, we must decide to take care of these evils. God commanded us to. He's not going to force us to do that, but he will certainly give us the power if we take a step in his direction. And finally, we are to be kind, tender-hearted, and gracious as children of God. Well, we have a lot to think about. And you pray for me and I'll pray for you as we work on becoming more what God wants us to be. We're gonna have Steve come and close our time in prayer. And may God bless you and be with you until we meet again. As we close our services today, 
I would like it if you would bow with me as we uh, take our thoughts to the Lord at this time. Father, I just praise you and thank you so much for allowing us to uh, bring your word out uh, in these troubled times. I thank you for the message that Pastor has. I just pray, Father, that, that this week we would be gracious, we would be kind, we would be tender-hearted, and finally, rejoice. All of us rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. <laughs> 